Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Uh, my name is Dr. Sean Healy, and I am a clinical psychologist with Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers. Um, I am here today to uh, talk to you about some strategies for uh, maintaining stamina and avoiding burnout. And the fact that you are here attending this program tells me that, uh, one, it's important to you. Um, and two, you have managed to figure out how to maintain enough stamina to add this to your long list of things that you have to do right now. So that's often one of the uh, hard, uh, one of the uh, first barriers to sort of getting helpful support or information at a time when you're really struggling or under a lot of pressure is that idea that I have to add one more thing to my list. So thank you for uh, for coming today. And hopefully uh, this will be worth your time. Um, I will do my best to uh, limit how much I stress you out at the beginning and then hopefully uh, give you enough strategies to feel like you've, you're going to come away with something helpful and practical. Uh, the warning that I often give in my presentations is I'm going to present a whole bunch of options for things to do that might be helpful, but don't do all of them. Because if you try to do all of this stuff all at once, that will overwhelm you, right? That'll be counterproductive. So pay attention to suggestions or particular areas that stick out to you that seem particularly relevant to you or uh, perhaps an area where a change might have the biggest benefit. And then start there. Don't try to do everything all at once. So uh, as I mentioned, uh, I work for Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers. And so if you're not familiar with us, I'll take a, a brief moment to introduce you to us as an organization and to our services. So we are a lawyer's assistance program. We serve law students, lawyers, judges, and legal professionals in Massachusetts. We are funded through a portion of bar dues that every lawyer pays in the state as part of their licensing fee. So because we're funded that way, we are free. We are a free resource to the legal community in Massachusetts. We're also a confidential resource. So when you come and talk to us, whether that's one of the clinicians, one of the law practice advisors, uh, anyone on staff, you're talking uh, in a confidential setting. And we do things like we help people with stress and resilience. We help with mental health issues. We help with wellness. We help with um, practical things related to career and practice management. We help with addiction. We help with all sorts of things. Our goal is to, to help the entire person, not just uh, focusing on something related to your work or your legal studies. So again, we're a free resource to you. I highly encourage you to check out our website, see what we offer, um, and take advantage of us, uh, of the services that we offer. All right. So Let's jump in. So let's start with stamina, right? So this presentation is going to focus on your stamina and also how that relates to burnout because those two things are related. So if you address stamina, hopefully there'll be some uh, spillover effects to preventing burnout. So I'm going to, I often use metaphors 
uh, as I'm explaining things. So I'm going to use a metaphor today. And that is uh, the metaphor of, of you being like the battery in your cell phone, right? So your stamina is your battery life, right? So understanding what helps with, you know, what, what uh, drains your battery and what recharges your battery is going to be helpful in, in understanding your experience with stamina during high pressure periods of your life, of your year, of your day, and also what helps in terms of reducing that drain and also recharging you. So first stamina, what is it? What are we talking about? We're talking about, uh, so this is one definition, the bodily or mental capacity to sustain prolonged stressful effort or activity. Right? So whether you are a law student, whether you're studying for exams, whether you're uh, prepping for the bar exam, whether you're a new associate, you know, whether you're starting out on your own, uh, there are multiple periods of your personal and professional life where there's going to be a time when it feels like, you know, the pressure has ramped up, right? The demands have gone up significantly for this period of time. And one of the things I often uh, talk to particularly law students about, but also uh, new attorneys, is sometimes we, we have this temptation to say to ourselves, you know, this stressful time that I'm in, it's not going to last forever. So I'm just going to wait until it's over. And then I'm going to do the things that I know that are good for me to do. That's when I'm going to get recharged. That's when I'm going to sleep again. That's when I'm going to call my family again. But for this period of time, this temporary period, I'm just going to put that stuff on hold, right? I'm just going to try to endure this, this stressful period. And the reality is when you have that mindset, what happens is you, you make this bargain with yourself that I'm just going to do this temporarily. I'm going to you know put the good stuff on hold just so I can deal with this demanding stuff in front of me. But the reality is that whatever that demanding stuff is, uh, it just gets replaced with more demanding stuff as time goes on. So you, what you do is you inadvertently start a new pattern, which is to just delay, endlessly delay the stuff that recharges you, right? Or you drastically limit it. Uh, and then what happens is just a new thing gets put in place of that original reason. And then that becomes your new pattern. And that leads to burnout. That leads to all sorts of negative outcomes. So when we're talking about maintaining your stamina, it's important to both recognize how this time in your life is unique in terms of the demands, but also how this is not unique in that there are going to be other times, maybe right afterwards, um, that are going to tempt you to do the same thing in terms of just focusing on getting through it at all costs. So what we want to do when we're talking about stamina is we want to focus on how do we uh, increase our endurance so that we can be healthy while we're in those periods, right? So we're not waiting, we're not putting everything on hold, but we're able to recharge ourselves and maintain that, that capacity through that stressful period and then you know benefit from the less stressful period as well, but that we're not waiting, we're not putting it off. The other thing to define um, is burnout. What is burnout? All right, so a really quick 
definition here is that, is that is that burnout is a chronic state of stress, right? That leads to physical and emotional exhaustion. So there's physical uh, consequences. There's emotional and mental consequences. That also leads to cynicism and detachment. So sort of becoming more cynical, less optimistic, um, becoming a detached from sort of your motivation, from, from the reason why you do the work that you do, uh, detachment from, from hope and encouragement, and also just feelings of ineffectiveness or lack of accomplishment. When we're in the midst of burnout, it feels like it doesn't matter what I do, like I'm not able to accomplish the thing that I'm trying to accomplish. So it seems pointless to try, to pointless to invest the energy over and over again. And so that's what we're talking about when, when we refer to burnout. All right, so back to the metaphor. So when, when using the metaphor of the smartphone battery, it's important to, to distinguish what is it that we're talking about in terms of the, that similarity, right? How am I comparing you to your cell phone battery? But also the important distinction of how you're dissimilar. So in my metaphor, what's similar is that the activity that you engage in will require power from your battery, right? So it drains your power source. Now you have energy and you're choosing to spend it on something, right? So in some ways, it is like a commodity where you're using it, you're transferring it to something else, and therefore you don't have it at the original source. So you're you're uh, engaging in some transfer of power. The other thing is the more taxing the activity or the time period and the, the increase in number of activities that you're trying to do at the same time will drain your battery faster, okay? So when you think about using your cell phone, your smartphone, um, if you're constantly using your, your phone, that's going to drain your battery. If you engage in more um, taxing activity on your phone. If you're streaming, if you're watching videos, if you're multitasking, doing email, right? That increased demand is going to drain your battery quicker, as opposed to if your your phone is just on and you're looking at your clock every once in a while, your battery's going to last a lot longer. And also, the uh, both your phone and you require regular recharging in order to function. Okay. So that's pretty much straightforward. So how are you dissimilar, right? Unfortunately, your smartphone has some advantages that you do not, right? So I can plug my smartphone in to recharge it while I'm doing something on my smartphone. I can plug it in and continue to work, right? So it's going to recharge at a slower rate because I'm asking it to recharge while I'm draining it at the same time. But I'm putting in energy at a, a higher uh, higher rate, right? So it's recharging slowly as I'm using it. We don't do that, okay? So you can't recharge yourself while you're doing the thing that is draining your energy. You can't get a great night's sleep while you're studying, right? So I know there's lots of um, funny examples of this, like, cartoons i think of the simpsons where you know there's uh, back in the day 
I think this was an actual product, but it was made fun of where like you just play tapes of, you know, language lessons while you sleep. And somehow that information just seeps into your brain while you're sleeping, right? That doesn't work. Uh, if you've tried that, you probably know. Um, or other things like if you just take your law book and you make that your pillow, just lay your head on your on your law book, then while you're sleeping, that information will magically just seep into your brain. That also doesn't work. And it's also very uncomfortable. So, so I don't recommend that. So when you think about what you need versus what your you know, smartphone is capable of, it's important to recognize that your recharging really does need to be done intentionally and not try to do it while you're draining or requiring that energy output. The other thing is you don't have that helpful icon on your phone to say, oh, my battery is going low, right? I'm in the red zone, right? Or the percentage has dropped way low. Or um, next to that icon, you know, I've got a, a prediction of how, how much more time is left on my battery at the rate that I'm using it right now. Okay. That would be very helpful if we had that for ourselves, but we don't. Okay. So when you're uh, using up your internal energy, since you don't have that icon to rely on as a, as a, a reminder or as a gauge, we need to be more aware of our internal changes, right? Like how do we know when I'm tired? How do I know when I need a break? How do I know when I'm hungry? Right? There, there aren't these explicit icons telling me I have to be aware of internal experiences and internal changes over time to indicate to me that this is what I need. So it sounds simple, but we often don't do this very well, particularly when our, our focus is on something right in front of us that seems really important that I need to take care of. Oftentimes we miss those internal cues or we don't spend time developing that awareness to a level that is helpful to us. So, uh, and then finally, uh, unlike your smartphone, right? You don't just suddenly shut off when your battery is, is down to 0%, right? Either thankfully or not, we'll keep going, right? Even though like our energy is, is critically low, we can keep going, right? We can uh, take energy from other areas of ourselves and, you know, push ourselves to unhealthy limits, right? Even though we're tired and we need to be, get some rest, we can push ourselves and stay awake, right? There's all sorts of things that we can do to push the limits. And that's one of the, the most direct routes to burnout, right? When we're not taking care of ourselves, when we're trying to push the, the limits, then we get drained, right? And there are real effects from, from those habits. So hopefully I've made the case that you are similar and dissimilar to your smartphone. Um, but now let's look at the different areas that stamina affects. So in terms of paying attention to those internal cues, where could you pick up those cues? So one is your energy, right? Your physical, mental, and emotional energy, right? Do you feel rested during the day? When you start off your day, do you feel like, oh, I've got physical energy, right? 
Do you have mental energy for things? And not just do you have it or not, but also the changes of that energy over the day, over the days, weeks, so forth and so on. Okay. So paying attention to how much energy you have in these different domains. Also your bandwidth, right? Which is the mental and emotional capacity to deal with the situation, right? So we're often presented with, you know, competing demands. And oftentimes like you're, you're focused on one thing, something else comes up and you just say to yourself, like, I don't have the bandwidth to deal with that right now. That has to, that has to wait. So that's normal. That's, that's healthy to have that sense of, this is what I have energy for right now, the capacity for, and therefore I don't have bandwidth for this. It's also helpful to, to recognize, you know, changes in your bandwidth, right? So at certain times, speaking personally, at certain times I have more bandwidth to, to be juggling things, you know, with, with my family, my kids, and with work and with other things. And then, then there are times when I notice that, you know, my patience is less, right? My bandwidth for conflict in this area is less. And then I associate that with like, oh, I, I'm I'm depleted in some way. I'm not as rested, right? Or uh, other demands have increased and therefore I have to shift my energy over here. Therefore I have less bandwidth, you know, for certain situations. That's normal, that's typical, but what's important is to, to be aware of it, okay? Be able to recognize those changes and to be able to, to know what to do when you uh, realize that you have less bandwidth. Uh, another area is your focus, right? Your ability to concentrate, your ability to focus on something, to sustain your attention, and also to avoid distractions. So as our, our energy depletes, as our stamina goes down, you know, we're more easily distracted, right? If you've ever uh, had a time when just in general, where you're just tired, haven't had a good night's sleep, right? You're, you're just lacking energy generally. When you're trying to focus on something, it's much harder, right? Your attention goes in different directions much easier. It's harder to sustain your energy. It's just like, oh, I'm just not on, on point today. So pay attention to that. That's related to productivity as well, right? So your ability to accomplish tasks to their completion in an efficient way, right? So if you've uh, gone through a period of, of uh, increased pressure and stress and you realize that, you know, I've started all these things, but none of it's complete, or I'm having trouble starting this task or this project, right? Or I'm just not as efficient. You know, I, it used to take me less time, but now this is just taking more time. I don't know why. So th there's multiple reasons why those, those things could be true. But again, just paying attention to those, those struggles, to those changes can help you hone in on what would actually be helpful in those situations. And then uh, finally, resilience, which is your ability to gain strength from challenge, right? The ability to come out of something difficult, some difficult experience, but to come out stronger than you went in. So uh, as opposed to going through something difficult and feeling depleted, feeling like, oh, that was just awful. And I will never repeat that again. There's nothing good that came out of that. Resilience is, is uh, the ability to, to take something helpful out of a challenging experience. You might not choose to go through the, 
that experience again, but you come away with it saying like, all right, you know, this is what I'm taking from this. This is how I've grown. This is how I've developed or gotten stronger. All right. So as we're talking about helpful things to do, practical strategies, uh, I'm going to go through three areas, which are sort of in line with what I've already said. Right, the first is your awareness of what drains your battery. Okay. The second are techniques for efficient battery use, right? So we recognize what drains our battery. And now we're shifting towards how do I eliminate some of that drain so that I could use my energy more efficiently? So I, I call that preserving your battery, but you're still using your battery. And the third area is, you know, specific techniques for recharging. All right. So I call them well-being practices. But there's lots of different things that you could do to recharge your battery. Okay. Obviously, um, I'm recommending that you do all three, right? That awareness is really helpful. That awareness will help you direct your efforts on uh, eliminating things or being more efficient. And then that awareness will also help you know like what well-being techniques or recharging activities would be most helpful for you in your situation. All right, so let's start with recognizing your battery drain, understanding the demands, or understand the demand. I should be a poet. Anyway, all right, so here are some things that are inefficient that drain your battery really effectively. So if you wanted to drain your battery more, do these things. Um, hopefully you don't want to do that. But So the first one there is trying to control what is outside of your control. This, uh, as I've often said, if for some reason you wanted to stress yourself out more, this is the quickest way to do it. Right? If you want to raise your anxiety, this is a great way to do it. Okay. So when we try to control something, that we have no control over, we feel more stress, we feel ineffective, right? we'll feel um, more anxious, we'll feel helpless. Right? All the things that you don't want to feel, this is a good way to get there. The reality is we do this all the time. Right? We're constantly trying to control things that are outside of our control. So why is that? One is because the list of things that are directly in our control is very small. And the list of things that are not in our control is very big. So as you're operating in your world, you wanna have control. This is, this is normal, this is healthy. We need a sense of control. If we never feel like we have any control, that leads to helplessness, depression, withdrawal, right? We need a sense of control. However, if we're trying to exercise that control in an area where we have no business doing that, that leads to that drain, that you know, increase in stress, increase in, in anxiety. So when we realize that I'm trying to control something that I don't have any control over, that's a great place to start to say, All right, I need to stop. I need to increase my awareness of what do I have direct control over? And how can I put my attention towards that? But the, the starting point really is recognizing where I'm trying to control something or where am I trying to exercise control in an area where I do not have control and I will never have direct control. 
Okay, so that's a, a good place to start. Um, I'm going to talk more about these things um, when I talk about the other areas as well. So another area is perfectionism. I, I am fond of saying that perfection is a great direction, but a terrible goal. All right, so for law students, for lawyers, for anyone who has been trained to eliminate risk, right? not make mistakes, there's big consequences to mistakes. Um, that sort of fosters or encourages that sense of perfectionism. And the thing with perfectionism is that you are constantly reminding yourself that you cannot do it because perfection is not attainable. So if that's your goal, what you're doing is you're constantly reminding yourself that you can't do it, which is very discouraging. All right. So perfectionism actually increases your, um, your sense of, of vulnerability. It's like saying, uh, I can't, I can't do it. I can't um, meet the standard because you can't, it's not a standard that can be reached. So again, it's a great direction, right. To want to improve, to want to do things well, but it's not a good goal, right? You're never going to get there. It's not attainable. So when you realize that, yeah, I'm a perfectionist, I'm trying to eliminate all errors, I'm trying to, you know, be perfect, that's a really inefficient way to, to operate. And, and I recognize talking to law students and lawyers, that that can be a really challenging thing to give up because it feels protective. It feels like, oh, like perfection is a way to protect me from a mistake or from a risk or a consequence. So I want to keep this thing. But I challenge you to think differently about perfectionism. The next thing uh, on that list is fear of failure. So related to perfectionism is this, this discomfort with making a mistake, with failing, right? Again, I'm fond of saying that your best teacher you have ever had in life is failure. Right? This is how we learn almost everything, is that we fail, we try again, we fail, we try again. We learn from those failures, we adjust until we hit a point of mastery. Right, or competence. So failure has been your teacher your whole life. But at some point, and for some people, the idea of failing is so, um, so uncomfortable that it'll uh, influence you to do all you can to avoid it at all costs, right? Or at very least to fail quietly by yourself and never admit it, right? So this fear, again, um, if you look at these things on a continuum, a certain degree of them can be helpful. Too much of it, not helpful at all, right? Total lack of it, also not helpful. So fear of failure, if you have too much of it, it's going to prevent you from doing things that are going to be you know, learning opportunities, right? It's going to prevent you from asking for help because you realize that, oh, like, they're going to know I don't know what I'm doing, hence I'm a failure. So it's going to prevent you from trying new things. 
right? Because I'm going to fail at that. So that fear can can quickly drain your energy because you're trying to put a lot of energy into avoiding this thing that seems really risky. But the reality is, like, it's been a good teacher. Um, the next thing on the list is inability to maintain boundaries. All right, so I'm going to talk a bit about boundaries in a moment, but uh, you, a boundary is your ability to say no when you could say yes. So when you when you don't have boundaries, when you cannot maintain boundaries, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to say yes to whatever comes. And the only time I say no is when I absolutely just can't say yes. That means I'm totally drained, right? I'm already committed. Something else said no for me. So when you when you don't maintain boundaries, you actually um, spend a lot of your time and energy on things that aren't necessary that you could have said no to. And you're often looking towards, you're looking to something else aside from yourself. You're looking to something else to protect you, to take care of you, um, to say no for you. And that's just really, that's a really inefficient way to sort of maintain your energy. But I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, related to that is trying to do too much, right? Like trying to to take on too much, trying to, um, it's, it's related to not being able to say no. It's also related to other things like, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out, right? Like, oh, this is a great opportunity. I don't know if I'll have this opportunity before in, in the future. I need to say yes to it. And then I say yes to something else that also is a great opportunity. Something else, it's also a great opportunity. But I've overloaded myself with all these great opportunities because I'm afraid, like, what if I make a mistake? What if I say no to something that's going to be life-changing, right? So that fear that I'm going to miss out on an opportunity can influence me to take on too much. That's a great way to just drain yourself. Um, and then also running on empty. I, I mentioned that you don't have what your whether your smartphone has, which is that automatic shut off. We're like when it's empty, it's like good night. I'll see you when you recharge me. We don't have that, right? We can run on empty. And so uh, the scarcity mindset with time is very common with busy professionals. So uh, the scarcity mindset is when you feel like the th one of the things that's really important to you is scarce, like you don't have enough of it, then that will actually influence how your brain works and how you make decisions geared towards getting more of the thing that you think is scarce. So having a scarcity mindset with time often happens when it feels like the list of things that I have to do is just so much. I don't have enough time to do all this stuff. Therefore, I don't have enough valuable time. I need more time. How do I get more time? Well, I can't make more time. So I could trade things for more time. And the first thing that we often trade for more time is sleep. It'll feel like, oh, sleep, yeah, it's important, I guess, but I don't need that much. I could trade an hour here, an hour there. Like I could, I could operate on three hours of sleep and four hours of sleep. You know, I'm going to trade some sleep to get more time so that I could be more productive with this long list of things that I have to do. Okay. So 
I'll go into more detail on this too, but hopefully just by that description, you're getting a sense that that is not a good deal. If you need more convincing, I'm going to convince you. Um, all right, so again, when you're looking at what drains your battery, the focus is on increasing your awareness of what drains you. So now that you have that awareness, you can then start to direct your, your efforts to eliminate some of that stuff so that you're preserving your battery or being more efficient and then eventually recharging. So preserving your battery. This is about you know, providing you with options, recognizing where you have control and using your efforts in a more efficient way. So I mentioned boundaries. I like to talk about boundaries. They're very important. Um, but again, what a boundary is, is your ability to say no when you could say yes. All right, I compare this to a limitation. And a limitation is uh, when you work to the point where you can't say yes, right? Where something or something else has said no for you, right? So you're up late doing work or studying, and then you just pass out, right? You wake up with your face in your keyboard or in a book, right? That's your brain saying like, good night, like we're done. You might've intended to do more work or to study longer, but your brain just shut down, okay? Um, this could also be like, you know, I, I have a class scheduled at this time. Therefore, I cannot say yes to something else. So my class schedule has said no for me. Or my boss has given me, you know, these priorities. Therefore, I cannot take on something else because my boss has, has said no for me. Or there's a policy at work that has said no for me. Those are limitations. A boundary is when you say no, when you could say yes. All right. It's really important to, to establish boundaries and to maintain them. Because this is a very clear example of something you have control over. All right. When you work toward you work to the point of a limitation, you're not exercising control. Right. You're just like giving everything until you got nothing left. A boundary is you saying, I'm gonna say no, I'm gonna exercise some control and saying no, I'm gonna have a stopping point, even though I could say yes, I have more energy to do more, but I'm not going to, I'm gonna say no. Boundaries are really important. Um, one for your sense of control in life, which again, very important. Also, it's important so that you can decide what you do with your time and energy, right? When you, when you feel like you can say no in life, then you feel more agency in directing what you do after that no. Um, I want to acknowledge that boundaries can be really hard to set, right? Because you're saying no and you could say yes. So you could feel bad because you're telling somebody no. You're choosing to say no to something or someone. So it's helpful to recognize what that feels like and have an awareness of what, you know, what to expect when you're setting a boundary. So you should expect to feel bad initially. That when I'm saying no, I feel bad. So I could say yes, either I'm letting somebody down, I'm you know not working as hard as I could because I'm saying no when I could say yes. Um, so you, you could feel bad. The person on the other side of that boundary might also feel bad because you're saying no to them. 
that feeling bad, that feeling does not last forever. So just waiting it out, that feeling will dissipate. So it's important to maintain that boundary. It's also important to know that when you set a boundary with somebody, it is natural, it is human nature for the person on the other side of your boundary to push on your boundary, right? As human beings, we want to know, like, what is our operating space? When there's a wall, when there's a boundary, is that a flexible wall? Is that a sturdy wall? Is it a temporary wall? For lawyers, it's often like, am I supposed to negotiate? Is this a test? Right? Am I, you know, am I supposed to get out my lawyering skills? So when somebody pushes against your boundary, that isn't necessarily a sign of them trying to manipulate you. It's just human nature. And so it's important to maintain that boundary, right? To say like, nope, my no is a no. And, and that's how it's going to be. There's different strategies for trying to start making boundaries. My recommendation is to start small, right? To start saying no to things that are inconsequential, just to practice saying no. And then also practice saying no without giving a long explanation to justify your no. Because when we're struggling to set boundaries, sometimes it's because I feel like I don't have a good enough reason to justify my boundary. Therefore, I can't make a boundary because I don't have a good enough reason or argument. I'm here to tell you, you can set a boundary with no reason whatsoever, just because you choose to say no. So practicing that is a, an important skill, as opposed to just practicing coming up with a good enough reason to justify your boundary. I could go on and on about boundaries, but we don't have seven hours, so we're going to move on. All right. Another thing that you can do to sort of be more efficient with your time is to recognize the difference between emergency room mode, ER mode, versus operating room mode or OR mode. And I often talk to people who, during uh, really stressful periods, were like, I've got, a, I've got big deadlines, I've got a lot of demands. So, you know, finals, finishing up a semester, um, studying for the bar exam, you know, uh, times in practice where I have got a lot of uh, deadlines for court and therefore I don't have enough time to do everything the way that I would normally do it. It's helpful to, to make a decision of when to be in uh, operating room mode, which is like, think of a brain surgeon who does things very carefully in depth, right? It requires sustained attention, like more so on that, like do your best, right? Put in that effort to do your best, to cross all your T's, to dot all your I's. Like this is the time to get really, really detailed versus times when like, that is not the priority. The priority might be as an ER doctor, right? And then ER doctor is like, all right, let's, let's do the quick thing. Let's stabilize and move on to the next, all right? So when you're in ER mode, it's like good enough, like that's the goal, right? Perfection, not the goal, right? So don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Right? So if I get a lot of things going, like I don't need to be perfect with everything. I just need to get stuff done and out the door or off my desk. So knowing when 
is appropriate to be in ER mode versus OR mode can be really helpful. And then making that decision where, you know, perhaps um, you are more comfortable being that brain surgeon and being very thoughtful and in-depth and knowing that, all right, this time that I'm in, I actually can't do that. It's not efficient to do that. I need to switch to ER doc mode where I'm just like, all right, good enough, let's go. Right, stabilize, let's go. Stop the bleeding, let's go to the next. So one, it's helpful to know that you can do both of those things. You can shift. It's also good to know when to do that. What's the most appropriate time to do those shifts? And three, it's helpful to know that people in general have a style that lends itself to one or the other. All that to mean that there's one mode that's going to be more comfortable for you more often than not. So for someone, and, and I talk about this with uh, lawyers with ADHD uh, in a group that I do, right? Like the ER mode, like it fits with how they operate, right? Like going from one thing to another. It's like, yeah, like that's when I feel the most calm is in that mode. Where I'm like, I'm just going one, two, like I don't need to, to sit there and plan out my day. I'm just responding to things that are coming my way. That can be more comfortable for some people. That can be very stressful for others. For somebody else, the, the brain surgeon method of like, I'm just going to sit down with this thing. I'm going to get into it. Right? I don't want distractions. I'm just going to really focus. That could be more comfortable. So knowing which of those modes is more comfortable to you is helpful. Knowing what situations uh, might be more efficient, which mode might be more efficient in certain situations is is. Uh, very helpful and also practicing switching between those modes or and also knowing what do you need in order to switch from one mode to another can be really helpful um, another thing to reduce the drain on your battery is to use systems that are helpful to you so systems can be like literal um task management systems, right? It can be habits and routines, all right? So, so on this list, number one is reduce distractions, right? So when we work, uh, when we have a routine of working where uh, we're battling distractions, where our attention is being drawn away multiple times or unnecessarily so, that is an inefficient use of energy or drain of energy. So if you're uh, typically operating in a space where there are a lot of distractions, one, it's helpful to be aware of that and also to be aware of how you can have control over those distractions. So for some people, um, what is distracting for one person is not distracting for another. So you really have to have a sense of for you, what is a distraction? And for you, is your environment that you're operating in, is it, does it contain distractions that are um, disruptive to you? So distractions can be things internal. So I'm distracted by the, by the sense that um, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry. Um, I'm not comfortable sitting in the chair that I sit in. Or for me, I'm, I'm standing, like I'm not comfortable standing in these shoes or on this floor. Um, so that could be a distraction. Or I need a break, I need to stretch, right? 
that can be a distraction. The distractions can be in the environment. So the noise level. Uh, do I feel like I have control over my environment in terms of having you know, dedicated time and space to just do the things I'm trying to do? Or am I interrupted constantly, right? Am I in a public space where people are coming up to me? Do I work in a space where I don't have a door? So therefore I can't just close my door. Um, am I being interrupted by email? So do I have my email up? And therefore everything, every ding that comes through, like, oh, I'm distracted, All right? So paying attention to what pulls your attention away to what you're trying to do from what you're trying to do is really helpful. Um, and then recognize like, what are these, th what distractions do I have influence on or control over? And what can I do about those to reduce them? Uh, related to that is to optimize your work environment, right? Think about where you're working and are there ways to optimize that? Not only in reducing distractions, but also in like increasing uh, what you need to focus, okay? So um, there's a, a description uh, in, in a helpful book on ADHD that talks about um, flashing lights that sort of are the distractions, they, they pull your attention away, and guiding lights that like help you focus. Think of like a lights on a runway, right? It's like, oh, that's really helping me focus on where I need to go, where I'm landing the plane. So are there ways that you can optimize your work environment by adding in those guiding lights, okay? Um, all right. There's tons of things to say about that. Um, other helpful systems are uh, having a habit of breaking down tasks. So one of the uh, common uh, experiences that sort of drain your energy is inefficient use of that energy and and to to spend your energy on trying to figure out like how am i going to tackle this big task right it feels like oh that's a big lift i don't know how i'm going to do that um that can lead to procrastination it's like i can't figure that out i want to do something else i'm going to you know, given to a distraction or I'm going to be productive with my procrastination and I'm going to like organize this thing over here or do this other task that's not a high priority, but I'm having trouble figuring out this big task. So practicing your ability to break down tasks into small bits, right? So it's like that adage, like climbing a mountain, right? If you're just looking at the top of the mountain, like that's really far away. That's too too much. But if you break it down, like, oh, I actually just have to take one step up the mountain. I can take one step, right? And having that ability to break it down into smaller tasks is essential. It helps with where you're directing your energy much more efficient. Another common thing to uh, put your energy towards is to plan ahead, right? To, to use your calendar to schedule things, not just appointments, not just classes or um, meetings, but to use your calendar to block off time to do work that you need to do. So one of the things that I'm often talking to people about is we waste a lot of energy when we make decisions in the moment, all right? So when I start my work day, I get in front of my computer and, I, and in the moment I say, what am I going to do next? What am I going to start with? I've got these five things on my list to do today. 
what should I do first? So when I put myself in that position, I am now um, asking myself to evaluate in the moment those five things on my list. Um, what's the high priority? You know, what do I feel motivated to do? Right? You have to, you have to uh, get tangled up with all these different uh, sources of information, right? And that wastes energy, right? Just not very efficient. What is more efficient is yesterday. Um, I'll talk about about today. If today I plan tomorrow, today's Friday, so let's not plan Saturday. Let me plan Monday. All right. So Monday, I go through my calendar and I'm like, the five things that I need to do on Monday, I'm going to schedule them in my calendar. So when I wake up and start work on Monday, it's not a question of what am I going to do first? I already decided, right? Sean from Friday decided for me. So I don't need to decide in the moment. It's already been made. And it is easier to make a decision outside of the moment because you don't have all those competing sources of information, right? Like, oh, what's the priority? What should I do? What do I feel like doing? Like all these different um, stimuli that I have to, to sort through. When you're outside the moment, it's easier to decide, right? It's like planning, you know, lunch for yourself three months from now. It's really easy. Just pick something. But deciding in the moment, what do I want for lunch today? Like, uh, what do I feel like? What do I have in the fridge? I don't know. Right? It just it's more of a an energy drain. So the more that you can use your calendar to help you plan ahead, to help you block off time, one that takes you out of the moment to make the decision, energy save. Two, when you block off time, what you're doing is you're you're being more focused, right? So you're not trying to do everything during that time. You're focusing, you're reducing distractions, energy, uh, more efficient with your energy there. So there's lots of little things like that, that we don't often think to um, dedicate time to in order to maintain our stamina, but little things like that can be really helpful. Uh, another thing, the last thing on this list anyway, is eliminate multitasking. So again, I'm very fond of saying Multitasking doesn't exist in the way that we often refer to it. All right. So you can do more than one thing at a time when your brain uses different areas to do those things. So I can talk and walk at the same time, right? I can do multiple things at the same time. What I cannot do is focus my attention on more than one thing at a time. Um, it is very similar to your visual focus, right? So if you want to see something clearly, if you want to focus your vision on something, you have to pick something very specific to focus on. You are aware of other things in your peripheral vision, right? right? So right now I'm focusing on the camera, my laptop. Although I can, I am aware of my two screens, the different things around me, my standing desk, the light. I can see all sorts of things in my visual field, but I am not focusing on them. I am focused on something very small. The same is true for your mental attention and focus. Right? So when we focus our attention on a task, right? but we're trying to when we convince ourselves, you know, I can multitask. I can focus on writing this as well as checking email or taking a call or you know, going back and forth between tabs, 
of unrelated things on my computer. It's like, that is not multitasking. That is that is task switching. Okay. So I am switching my focus from one thing to another, and then back to the thing that I was focusing on. One of the things that is helpful is to do less, to focus on one thing at a time and do less task switching. So if you need some data on this, there's a study, uh, I, didn't, I didn't come prepared with the reference for the study, I'll have to look it up later, but there's a study that looked at how much time is taken up when we are, when our attention is drawn to an email, when we're working on something, an email pop-up comes and we respond to that email. So I'm trying to do something. My attention gets drawn to the alert. I check the alert. I open the email. I read the email. I have to decide what I'm going to do with this email. Trash it, respond, delegate it, flag it for later, whatever. And then if I'm responding, you know, write a response, so forth and so on. And then after that's done, the awareness of, oh, wait, I was doing something else. And then I get back to the thing that I'm doing. I catch myself up to speed and where I left off and boom. All right. So from start to finish, on average, that's 15 minutes of every distraction like that, of, of an email distraction. So obviously that's very inefficient. So if we are able to focus on one thing at a time, just do that thing and then move to the other thing um, that's more efficient. So using your calendar to block off time, to just focus on what I'm doing right now, I'm studying this chapter, or I am you know, writing this paper or writing this memo. The next block of time might be check and respond to email. So to separate those things out uh, is much more efficient. Also, another way to, to reduce the drain is to, to make a decision not to do it by yourself. All right, so social isolation, right, is a drain. Uh, when we're feeling the imposter syndrome, this often encourages us to isolate or to hold back. If you're not familiar, the imposter syndrome is when you're feeling like um, I'm an imposter. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, it's only a matter of time before others figure out that I don't know what I'm doing. And therefore, one day they'll figure out that I don't fit. Most people, feel this to some degree. So the more that we talk about it, the more that we share our struggles with others, the less burden we're under. And if you're under less burden, it takes less energy to go about your day. So again, don't go it alone. That's another way of preserving some energy. Also be intentional about those times that pop up where like, no, this is different right? I'm studying for the bar. That's a different time in life. So during those times when it's like my demands are much higher, I just need to focus more on these things. Be intentional about consciously choosing what to put on hold for now, have a time frame in mind, and then you know, get back to those things that you're putting on hold. And also preserve those things that are necessary for your well-being. Don't put everything on hold, right? Be intentional about, I might put on hold hanging out with my friends on the weekends when I really need to get something done, All right? But I'm not going to do that forever. I'm only going to put that on hold for a certain amount of time. But I'm also not going to put everything on hold. I'm going to prioritize my sleep. I want to make sure that I'm recharged every day, right? I'm not putting that on hold. So speaking 
of not putting that on hold. The, the next section is recharging your battery. So what are those well-being activities that you can do practically um, oriented that you have control over that will recharge you? Again, don't necessarily do all of these things all at once, but if you're going to choose to start somewhere, start with your sleep. Okay, sleep hygiene is just a fancy way of saying a good sleep routine, but this is usually the first thing that goes out the window when you're under a lot of stress, when you're anxious, when you're trying to trade something to get more time to be more productive. Sleep is the thing that suffers the most. So again, this is a topic that I talk about a lot and I can talk for hours on, but increasing the quality of your sleep is really beneficial to you. You are much more efficient if you honor your sleep, if you stop working and you prioritize sleep, as opposed to shaving sleep off and trying to get more work done. When you're tired, your brain does not function as well. You are not as efficient. Okay, The work isn't as good. You're not going to remember things as well. You're trying to study and cram. You're not going to remember it as well as when you're rested. So it is much more efficient to stop working, to get rest, and then come back to the thing that you're working on. There are lots of things that can improve your quality of sleep. Um, but again, I don't have time to go into all these things. What I would say is treat sleep like it's one of the most important appointments of your day. Have a bedtime. Have a relaxing routine up to that bedtime. And, and don't double book. Don't shave off sleep. All right. Other thing is exercise. Right. Moving your body in different ways, both to, to increase your physical health and strength and physical stamina, which is really helpful, but also it is a great stress reliever to be able to, to exercise, have a discrete period of physical activity, and then your body will rest more naturally afterwards because your body knows, oh, this, I'm done exercising. It's time to relax. Another thing is to focus on your diet. Like, What are you using for fuel for your physical body? Right? So we're talking about maintaining your energy. Part of that is the fuel that you're using. So having healthy options, being intentional about planning what you're going to eat, prioritizing, um, using your calendar to schedule time to eat. Because what often happens is if you're not prioritizing it, if you're not aware of how you're feeling. You're just focused on all this work that I have to do. It's really easy to sort of, you know, brush right past lunchtime, right? And you make it to the end of your day and you're like, did I eat today? I don't know. Right. But I feel really cranky. I must not have eaten. So prioritizing breaks for lunch, for snacks, um, deciding ahead of time what those snacks and lunch will be. You're more likely to, to eat healthier. And you're more likely to, to be sustained physically longer. If you don't plan ahead, you're more likely to do, to do reactionary eating, which is like, oh, suddenly I'm aware that I'm starving. Now I'm going to grab anything within arm's reach, which is usually something in a machine or wrapped in plastic. You know, not the best. More, more sugar, more carbs. So I have a, a spike in energy and then a drop, right? But having, you know, 
more vegetables, more fruits, more proteins that will actually give you more physical energy, which is going to help with your focus. It's going to help your stamina. Another thing is just some, some basic breathing techniques, right? A deep breathing routine or habit is really helpful. You're breathing anyway, I hope. Um, so deep breathing isn't that big of a, a lift. It's just being intentional about your breath, all right? So taking a, a more a slower and more um, intentional and deep inhale through your nose, it's diaphragmatic breathing. So you're using your diaphragm. So when you take that inhale, your abdomen extends as opposed to your chest. So a slow inhale, a slow exhale. Doing this multiple times. Um, if you're not doing it already, go ahead, take the opportunity to do it now. What you'll often feel is like, oh, I'm breathing differently. My body starts to feel differently. Sometimes you can feel more relaxed physically. What happens is as you start to breathe slower, your brain gets messages like, oh, this is not how I breathe when I'm stressed or when I'm anxious. When I'm stressed and anxious, I breathe fast and shallow, right? It's more like I'm, I'm on the edge. When I consciously slow down my breath, I'm actually telling my brain, I'm more relaxed. My brain starts to feel more calm, all right? So now I feel like I can manage my internal experience in the midst of stress. I can actually feel more calm, which makes me feel you know, more in control. More to say about this, obviously, but I want to give you more options here. Another is mindfulness, right? I started off talking about the importance of just having your awareness increase, being aware of what drains your battery, you know, what what inefficient practices uh, might be going on. Mindfulness is all about your awareness in the present moment. Okay, so uh, we use our memory to, for the past, right? That's where regret lives in the past. We use our imagination for the future. That's where, you know, anxiety lives. In the present moment, we're often not, that's where we live in the present moment, but we're often not focused on the present moment. We're often focused on what's next, right? Whenever we have a lot of things to do, a lot of pressure, it's what's next, you know? Am I going to have enough time to do X, Y, and Z, right? What am I going to do tomorrow? You know, how am I going to get this stuff done, right? So we can often live in a state of heightened anxiety because we're thinking about what's next. When we practice mindfulness, what we do is we consciously direct our attention to the present moment. What can I see? What can I hear? What can I touch, smell? There's probably one more sense I'm forgetting. Anyway. Again, it's all about you know what's happening right now. When you focus on the present moment, you're going to increase your awareness of like, how does my body feel? Am I thirsty? Do I need a stretch break? Do I need to use the bathroom? Am I hungry? Right? Where, where do I feel discomfort? Okay. The more that we practice mindfulness, the more sensitive we are to pick up changes in ourselves, in our situations, to indicate that you know, maybe something else might be helpful, right? Or maybe something else is happening that's draining my energy that wasn't happening earlier. So for example, if you start off your day, like, all right, I'm going to tackle today. By the end of the day, you're like, man, what a terrible day it was. 
and someone asks you, what, what made your day terrible? And you're like, ah, I don't know. Just some vague sense of terribleness, right? That's the lack of mindfulness. If you practice mindfulness, you could say, my day was terrible because this happened, which made me feel this way. And then this happened. I was really disappointed about that thing, right? You're, the more awareness you have, the very least, you understand your experience more. And it gives you more options, right? It gives you the opportunity to intervene in different ways at different times, as opposed to only waiting until it's really extreme before you realize that something has gone wrong. Um, also, uh, a very helpful uh, well-being activity is your social supports, right? So I mentioned, you know, not going alone. Don't um, don't give into that imposter syndrome and isolate. Right. So your social supports are really helpful. This is also something that is uh, among the first things to be uh, put on the shelf when we feel really busy or really stressed out. Right. So I don't have time for other people. I just have to do this stuff. But other people are so important, right? Just for that support to feel like I'm not alone, to feel validated. Like this is hard. What I'm trying to do is hard and other people can validate that. Yes, it is hard. It's super important, right? Positive venting is about talking to people who understand what you're going through, right? So if you're a law student, talking to other law students or other lawyers who know what it's like to be a law student. If you're prepping for the bar, talk to other bar preppers or people who are recently taking the bar, right? If you're a new associate, talking to other new associates, say, like, wow, I'm going through this thing that you're going through, right? You can identify, right? That is really helpful. And you can talk about what is difficult about that experience with someone who knows what that is like, right? So that, that's where validation comes in. It's really helpful. Um, the other thing on that list is activities that demand your attention. Um, I used to call them hobbies, but when you're when you're engaged in something and it's you know a drain, another way to to feel a little refreshed is to put that stuff on hold, have a boundary with your work, and then do something else with your time, something that is of interest to you, something that is recharging in some way, right? Something that is rewarding. So a hobby, something of interest and something that, that demands your attention can be helpful, right? Cause sometimes when we're really stressed out, it feels like, you know what? I've stopped work, but I'm still thinking about it. I put my books down, but I'm still worried about it. So like I try to do this, you know, helpful activity, but I'm not enjoying it because I'm just thinking about the stuff that I'm worried about. So in times like that, it can be helpful to try to engage in an activity that demands your attention. Okay, so there's lots of examples of these. Um, one that I like to reference a lot is somebody tell me like, yeah, when, when I leave work, I go to the rock climbing gym and I, when I climb, it's like, yep, that demands your attention. Because like, if you're not paying attention as you're climbing up a rock wall, uh, you'll fall, right? Others reference, you know, working out, right? Um, lifting heavy weights, doing martial arts, where like, if you're not paying attention, you could hurt yourself, get punched in the face. I don't want to get punched in the face, right? Or, you know, powerlifting. I need to focus on my technique, on how I'm, you know, focusing my energy all into my muscles. So 
when you engage in activity that demands your attention, it's really difficult to be focused on the things that are stressing you out. So for what it's worth, consider that. Um, also, being in tune helps to promote your resilience because when you when you have that heightened awareness, then you're going to be more aware of how your environment affects you, all right? how um, the demands of your schedule, how your physical environment affects you, how you know other people affect you. And then you can also have an increased awareness of how you can affect your internal state, right? So again, prioritizing things like your diet, exercise, sleep, you know, that deep breathing where you can physically slow down your breath and make your physical experience different. You can calm your body down in the midst of stressful uh, demands. That's a really powerful experience where you feel like, I can't control the demands, but I can control how I feel in the midst of them. And that can be really helpful, right? That can sustain you. And finally, it's just helpful. Again, this is sort of like the, the implied message. It's just to know yourself, right? What is distracting to you might be different for somebody else. What is helpful to you might be different than somebody else. So know what motivates you, right? What is helpful in motivating you in sustaining your attention and helping you to stick to, uh, to have that endurance through something difficult. Know what distracts you. And if you know, oh, my phone is such a distraction. I'm constantly looking at my phone. Well, like, well, Knowing that is helpful because that can then lead to you coming up with options for what to do with that distraction. How can you eliminate that? Um, also, knowing how you respond to discomfort is really helpful. Um, as I've often said in different contexts, um, we are when you break it down, we're motivated by two basic motivations. We pursue pleasure and we avoid pain. So knowing how you avoid pain or how you respond to discomfort is really helpful. And also what is painful to you or what is discomforting to you. So this will lead to things like procrastination, understanding, like this is difficult for me. Am I likely um, to avoid it or am I likely to tackle it? Like how am I responding to this, to this discomfort? And then knowing like, you know, you, you might have a particular style of responding to discomfort, but that might change depending on what that source of discomfort is. And also, how do you study or learn best or work best, right? Like, do you study best in an environment where there's some ambient sound and activity, right? Like a library or a coffee shop. Do you study best or learn best in quiet with no distractions whatsoever, right? Do you work better remotely or in the office? Or do you work better when you're collaborating with people and talking things out, or do you work better when you're just like, you know, mulling things over internally to, to sort things out? So just having an awareness of that is really helpful. All right. So that brings us to the end. Again, there are lots of things, uh, lots of additional things to say on these topics, um, specific techniques that you can use, uh, but I'm going to stop there. Um, I don't see any questions in the Q&A, so if you want to throw one in there, feel free. Otherwise, 
I will encourage you all again to check out um, LCL's website and services. Um, I'm available to you as as are all the LCL staff. If anything in this presentation popped out to you as like, oh yeah, making an improvement in that area would be really helpful. Or I'm struggling with this thing and I'm I'm aware of it, but I don't have really good options. Or I've tried to to make an improvement here and haven't seen success. Uh, again, don't go it alone. I'm a resource for you as everyone else is at LCL. Uh, reach out and I'm happy to talk with you, break this stuff down more, figure out what might be helpful to you specifically. All right, well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank us. you, Sean, so much for speaking today. That was a really informative presentation. I personally was seeing a few things. I was taking note on things to improve. <laughs> So really, thank you so much. And thank you to our participants for coming and have a great afternoon. Thanks, everyone.